0: Hi, I'm Laura Allen. And I'm Liv Austin. And between us, we are a songwriter, actor, singer, producer, and the hosts of My Amazing Mess. A podcast where
1: we talk to creatives who are right in the middle of developing their own unique careers. They are totally honest with us about what it takes to pursue their dream job. The exciting highs, the disheartening lows, and And the amazing mess mess that is everything in between.
0: Knew we would nail that Hi everyone, it's Liv here. It's Monday, which means that we have a new interview for you guys, and we're talking to Matt Gill this week, who is a sound engineer, a producer, and a musician in his own right as well. And although we have spoken to musicians before and we've spoken to a producer before, this is slightly different because all the stuff that has to do with sound, doing sound in TV and film was super interesting to talk to Matt about. And he also does live sound. He actually tours with the band Boyce Avenue and the way that he got that job was really interesting to hear about and the perfect story for this podcast. So we loved having him on. It was also great to hear Matt talk about nerves and stage fright and that he gets as nervous doing sound for somebody else as he does when he has to go up on stage and perform his own music. And you will also learn what British comedian he accidentally hit over the head with a boom mic. So this is a really great one if you're interested in TV, filmmaking, live music, working as a self-employed creative. And if you're interested in hearing about how do you actually get work in an industry that doesn't really operate with job interviews, applications, CVs, anything like that. So get ready to learn a lot. We definitely did. This is Matt Gill. We are here with Matt Gill, Hello. sound engineer and musician. Hello. So cool that you've come down. You're probably our furthest furthest guest which we really appreciate yeah no worries coming down at all. from Manchester yep. and uh, you're a sound engineer you're a musician you're a producer mm-hmm. as well yep I want to jump in but I want to do quickly who are you to us yep. and uh, I've just met you today and you've met John my partner and you guys have already bonded over sound stuff geeky techy stuff <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> exactly <laughs> we were thinking of bringing him in here because he probably ask better questions but yeah we don't have enough it may lead on space. to a very
2: techie path yeah exactly
0: <laughs> that will be sort of the spin-off like when you go into more detail about the work but um but
1: you know laura
2: yes yes you guys go way back go go, way back we go
1: way back but then as we were just talking about before we've only met a handful of times really that's
0: right
1: i guess so we met on a was it? It was a feature film, but it was a low-budget feature. Low-budget feature, yeah, yeah um, About 10 years ago. Mm. And you were a sound assistant then?
2: At the time, yeah, trainee assistant. Oh. I was kind of just starting. Well, it was, yeah, 10 years ago now, wasn't it? So, yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. And then we've, I got in touch with you not that long ago, and I was thinking of getting into production stuff, and... We both had a... I gave you some numbers, random. I think. You did, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up doing a day on humans, Channel 4 programme. And yep. um, so were you that day. You yeah, weren't, randomly. we bumped into each other. And Liv, to tie it all back in, Liv was an actor on humans for one episode. Was it one episode? It was one episode, yeah. yeah and I think I nailed that because you'd already
0: taught me how to be a synth. Yeah, so I was like, when I came to the audition, I was like, I already know how to do that. That was the
2: great thing about that show, because there was synth training. Yeah. There was synth school during the summer before they started shooting. I think it was like two months of synth school to teach all the essays and the cast how to move like synths and stuff. I always found that really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's so cool, and some of them are just so good at it. And I was glad that I had a bit of training from Laura, because... For my episode, I had synth training the morning of my shoot. So, uh, so what's the choreographer's name? Dan.
2: Dan that's Dan. right yeah, yeah Dan, such Dan. a lovely guy
0: yeah but he just came in as I was doing my hair and makeup he was like right Liv so if I could borrow you before you shoot so I could just show you how to walk <laughs> and turn your head and speak and I was like
1: oh my god and not blink and yeah not, not blink. <laughs> exactly. I don't think I gave you much training apart from stay still stay still like <laughs> stay when, still. when you turn your head like eyes
0: first and then the head yeah. yeah like that really I think that was just yeah
1: yeah and when you watch it back you you do notice that's how they how they move around it's really clever
0: yeah it's very consistent so yeah so that was a great show. And, and you've done, we've just reminded you of some of your CV that you'd almost forgot about. Yeah. You've done Da Vinci's Demons. Yep. So you did sound, you were sound assistant or sound?
2: Assistant on that one, yeah. yeah. And um,
0: Victoria.
2: Victoria did some dailies on um, Peaky Blinders Series 4. Very um, nice. Kingsman, The Golden Circle. I did, oh, cool. did about a month on that as well. That was really good. Uh, yeah, loads of I was mean, 10, 10 years doing that now. So.
1: so talk to us about what you do when you're when you're doing a job like that because I know I've worked with you and you've been on the boom yep. mic, which for anyone that doesn't know is as I was talking about before a long stick with a microphone on the end of it, the
2: fluffy dead cat the on fluffy, the end of yeah. the pole.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then obviously on hard shoulder that first film that we did, you were trainee sound assistant. So yeah. were you were you booming on that or just mixing o- occasionally?
2: Or mixing? Yeah, it's usually when you're training or assisting that you you're kind of getting offline to so stuff that's not on camera but they can still use in the edit so it doesn't matter too much if you fluff it up or miss the line or you're off mic or, or that kind of thing because you'll get it on the turnaround when it's actually envisioned doing the other side of the conversation you know but it's a way of getting you on the boom and training you for bits and pieces and working with the cast as well because that's a big part of the job because you have to radio mic all the cast so it's yeah. learning how to speak to people and because it's quite an intimate job so you've, there's, there's a way of you know approaching people to make them feel comfortable while you've got your hand down the top and down yeah. the trousers and it's something and we've spoken
1: about many times yeah.
2: as actors yeah. i'm always like just do yeah. it Go on. it's so yeah.
0: funny because i mean it's lovely that it is this way but we have so many experiences with it's often in sound it's it's men you know yeah, course, majority yeah, yeah. men and uh, they'll come over and be like i'm so sorry but i have to put this mic inside your top and you're like it's fine Like it's your job. It's cool. (laughs) But it's nice that people are being respectful about it. (laughs) Yeah, I think
2: you've got to come uh, at it with an approach. And right now, and I've got a sound team that I usually work with and our assistant, Laura, who's great. But we usually have uh, a female assistant for those situations where you you do sometimes get cast that are a little uncomfortable with the radio micing process. So to have a female radio micing, a female, is a lot more or it's a lot easier and a lot more relaxing for those Kind of cast members.
1: So. Mm. Yeah. I've, I've definitely been in situations where th- there's been a man trying to thread a a wire down my top, and he's trying to be oh, you do it, and I'm I'm kind of like no, you just well, you put it where you need to put it because I don't know where it needs to go. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. yeah I'd rather depends. have the
0: sound be good. But, yeah, yeah. But I guess we're all different within some people. It's it's really important that just even if it's actors, because there's this idea that oh, actors are fine with anything, but maybe not everyone is, mm-hmm. and it's nice to be respectful and, and sensitive in that in that way. And <laughs> ideally, we'd get to a point where there were more women working in, in the industry, yeah, and, you know? and
2: there is, I think you're seeing more and more of that. we you know, I, I'm seeing a lot of female um, sound trainees and sound assistants coming through a lot more than 10 years ago, which is really a positive thing as well. So,
1: that's so great. You're saying you were training on that film. So, had you trained in sound or for film and TV? What was your background in training? No,
2: so I mean, a lot of people that go into the tech side of film and TV usually go to um, NTFS National television film school uh, which I didn't I went to a music college and kind of music was more my background I got given work experience while I was at university just for a project that I'd done and it was an outside company that had come in to mark the project and they really liked it so they were like oh we'll offer you work experience we've got a little studio in Leeds and you can come down and have a play with the studio gear and bits and pieces and then from that work experience they offered to take me out because they did some short commercials and bits and pieces um, it was a double glazing window company I think they after and some asda bits and pieces but i got trained up kind of basic location recording like really cheap not cheap but you know not high-end kind of pro film kit Uh, and it kind of spiraled from there really and got into short films and little bits and pieces like that so
1: so had you kind of gone into a music training thinking you were going to just go down the music route
2: yeah kind of what as i say i did i did music production at university and music tech at college but this was kind of my final year of uni this started to come around and then by the time i came out of uni that had developed and i'd started to get my first couple of paid jobs um so i was doing music as more of a hobby at that point and then this was supplying some income and it was very kind of basic income and and the jobs were very sparsely kind of spaced but that was kind of for me getting money in okay i need to pursue this a little bit because this is potentially where i can still be involved in sound stuff but um earning money as well so
0: and i guess it's like You know, you find something that you actually get people telling you that, oh, we need you for this. It's quite encouraging, isn't it? Because in music and, and those things, you see so many people trying for so long to do it. And it really can take a while before you get any return on it. Yeah, so. and it's
2: still even when you're earning money, I think it can take years till you get to a point where you're earning a steady income or enough to pay the rent and the bills and everything else. I think it's it's not something that you can come out... A lot of the guys that I went to uni with, they finished uni and they hadn't... I mean, I worked for about a year and a half for free while I was at uni, making contacts and, you know, learning the trade and bits and pieces like that. Uh, and they came out of uni, where's my job? And yeah. It's like, well you've got to kind of create your own job in this industry. There's no real industry that you can apply for a job and walk into. It's it's all word of mouth. It's all people that you know and that kind of thing. And people will call you if they think you're good enough to do the job, that kind of thing. So it's... Yeah. I
0: can imagine with uh, doing sound for for film, TV, it's very much word of mouth that, you know, you just worked on this job and it's a lot of the same people doing the next project. And they're like, well, let's get Matt in because he was great last time. It's as simple as that.
2: Yeah, 100%. I, I haven't had a CV for eight years. All of my jobs now are phone calls, text messages, or I'd turn down two days uh, work on the way down here actually just text messages like are you free tomorrow in Eccles are you free here and I know I'm already busy or shout me next time type of thing so yeah. all of my work is that that way now
1: and I know I don't know for anyone listening like with film and tv it's it's a it's a completely different medium to theatre I've learned that number one as an actor but how did you did you learn on the job did you I know you said you had a few kind of jobs just coming out and doing those short films and stuff did you? Because there's there's a lot to learn. I guess there's the technical side of it, and then there's dealing with the cast and directors and knowing what they want and what you're doing as a sound recordist or an engineer.
2: Yeah, everything everything was on the job, and that's what you start as a trainee, and it's a lower rate, obviously, because you're there to train and if you're with the right group they'll put you on the kit and they'll teach you through how to do things and the the, the certain protocols of how the day works getting to a location rigging setting up and when people need to be radio mics all that kind of stuff and uh, the kit is pretty much the same across the board so if if i'm on a daily with a different mixer with different kit it, it all kind of works the same way the buttons might be in a slightly different place but it's all the same protocol still so but yeah that's all all on the job that was learned yeah
0: so you were saying that that was kind of where you started seeing a bit of income and stuff how long did it take you for that to be or did did you get to a point where that was you know the money that you needed you were earning from doing those jobs
2: it's uh, that's a tough question actually because I don't think there was any kind of It was March the 15th in 2000. (laughs) It was a slow kind of crossover Mm. where slowly it starts building up, slowly you start getting more contact, and it does take time. Um, I think I was starting to get bits and pieces of work and that's the realisation of what I need to pursue this because I do enjoy it, it is good fun and it is a creative kind of career and you are doing kind of cool stuff. So, But yeah, it did take quite a few years to get to the point where I don't need to do any other work now. This is now fully paying all my income and bits and pieces, yeah.
1: Is that something that comes from getting more work? The more people that you know, the more you're doing stuff, you're getting more jobs. Yeah. Or is, it, is there like a hierarchy where you can kind of climb a bit of a ladder in the sound industry recording with that?
2: Both, yeah. It's the, There's a weird thing. There's a split between, uh, f- I found just from working in the industry, there's a split between feature films and TV. And I don't know whether it's the same with camera departments because we're kind of very closed off in our own little departments. The sound departments all kind of speak to each other and there's, you know, there's groups on Facebook and there's WhatsApp groups to talk about jobs and if people need cover that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's quite it's quite closed off in that sense. The general hierarchy tends to be um, you start off as a trainee. Um, a lot of the times, it depends who you're with, you're not really supposed to be swinging a boom over actors' heads because that can be quite expensive insurance-wise <laughs> if it goes yeah. wrong, which yeah. it's gone on before with me. I hit Jack White all over the head with a boom. <laughs> <ball>. <laughs> <laughs> um oh, brilliant. but yeah so it's kind of trainee uh second assistant sound which is sound assistant and then first assistant sound which is a boom up and then if you want to move up to the production mixer level that's kind of their offset and they do all the the actual mixing of all the microphone channels coming in the radio mics the boom poles and then they do all the data management and speak to the editors and look after that kind of thing but
1: so at the moment are you what what is your usual role when you get onto a set?
2: First AS now. First assistant sound, so boom up.
1: I'm I'm assuming, because you think of a boom up, oh, that's going to be easy. You just stand holding the boom. But I'm assuming there's scenes that are a lot more tricky and moving around, not getting the boom into mic, into the camera, sorry.
2: Yeah, you've got to keep it out of shot, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's got to be on mic, uh, but you've also you've got a DOP there who's beautifully lighting a scene and that can cause shadows on a wall and the last thing you want is a shadow of a microphone drifting across the back of the shop because that's <laughs> as do, bad as getting the mic. You yeah, do see it it right now, yeah.
1: And for anyone listening, DOP is Director of Photography. Director of Photography. Yeah. So
2: he's, he's the guy in charge of the camera department who's the kind of... They're usually wearing a berry and drinking a latte somewhere <laughs> <laughs> else. <there>. Very
1: accurate <laughs>
0: description. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I guess if you do the boom, you have to be fairly involved in actually... Just being really involved with the team and and keep communicating to make sure that everyone agrees where you're going to be and what's happening.
2: Yes. So so my role, basically, I'm on the floor on the set um, and I tend to look after the cast and I kind of say, well, we should shoot this scene this way. In terms of sound to my production mixer, because he's always offset somewhere on a set headphones and I can speak to him down the mic. And, you know, it could be a three handed conversation like this. And I'll say, well, we need to split it. We could have one back and forth here and one over there so I get the assistant doing the offlines and radio mic this person and and that kind of so i'll look after everything on the floor and then the production mix will deal with everything kind of off set but then i have to talk to the director and the dop and all that kind of stuff so
0: is that a big part of what you enjoy is to to be part of deciding how how the sound is going to be yeah that's be recorded
2: it's quite a uh, quite a challenging part of part of the role, I think, because it's it's then almost down to you of, of how that scene's going to play out or how you're going to capture that scene or, you know, and the mixer I work with, Grant, um, he's, he's a great guy. And we often have the same suggestions, like, it'd be great to p- pop a little plant down there, because we can get some effects of someone walking up to a door that will work really nice. All the editors might want that little thing. So we kind of bounce ideas and how we're going to approach the recording the scene, which is quite nice. Yeah.
1: It's quite a creative approach, isn't it? You don't. Yeah. I just think of it as you just capturing the sound, but it's, yeah, it's it's amazing to hear that you're actually part of aesthetically making it sound. Yeah,
2: but we get requests from the editor as well. Like, oh, we need uh, if if you're in one location for a long time, um, then they might want some buzz tracks of the room. Now, buzz track is. Uh, if you're recording the sound of people talking or conversations when they edit it they're just taking the dialogue snippets out now to fill the gaps you need the ambient sound of that room you can't just grab that from a sound file because it will sound completely different to the background noise of those um cast members so you have to do sort of two three minutes of just recording room tone effectively so we get notes from the editor like we need this we need some sfx of this if you can grab it at some point that would be great that kind of thing so.
0: because sound is so important to to the experience of a tv show a film and and i think that you know the second you see which i see a lot of maybe i'm just noticing it more but you know when there's adr for an entire scene and you're like.
2: Ooh, it doesn't really sit right distracting. as Distracting. Well. Yeah, yeah, it really doesn't sit right. And it's I'm,
1: I always play the, the part <laughs> of the person that's listening that doesn't know what ADR is. Live. What's Very... ADR? <laughs> or Matt, what's ADR? Um, <laughs> so <it's... laughs>
2: Automated dialogue replacement. So it's uh, if you've not been able to capture it at source on location, then the cast get bundled down into a little studio in Soho where they, uh, they play the scene on a screen and you have to try and read in and match your lip sync to... Uh, what's been filmed to then replace the audio, and then they try and mix that in with the background noise to make it appear as though it's kind of been filmed at location.
1: Yeah, I notice all I always notice, little things like that with them um, kind of big street scenes in New York where it must have been so tricky with all cars going by and yeah, and, and, you know. and it can
2: also be we've had it before with script changes where there have been script changes after you filmed, um, and they need to replace it, and it's usually like a, a a reverse shots of the back of the head, and I have that dialogue. So it's mm. not lip sync, but then they can get away with those script changes. So it's not always technical on location, but some of it can be kind of a creative thing as well. So
0: yeah, when someone goes, "This is not clear," we need another sentence to to clarify. I had that with humans. I had to go in and do ADR because they wanted to add a tiny little line. Um, And you go, oh, wow, that's a lot of work that goes into it. Just add. And I was far away in the shot at that point. So, you know, it's quite easy to match it. But you just think this happens probably so much Mm. more than we realize, because often, I mean, sometimes you can notice. And as I say, it's quite distracting because it kind of takes you out of the scene. But it's probably so much more common than you realize. And sometimes you're being fooled by it.
2: Yeah, it's the, there's a lot of it that goes on. Um, we've been really lucky um, with our sound team that I think the past three jobs, there's been no technical ADR. So there's been no ADR that's needed to be replaced because of noises on set or, you know, a dodgy microphone or anything like that. So they've managed to use all of that and the only replacement has then been script changes. So from our point of view, it's great. Because it, off- it used to, I don't think it does anymore, but it used to cost the production company because they've got to get the cast back in. And if they're out of contract, then they've got to pay the cast again. And if you've got big cast names, to get someone into a studio for a day can be thousands of pounds. And then you've got the studio rental, the engineer, all the recording, you know, for one scene.
0: Really adds up.
2: Yeah, it really does. add up. So,
0: yeah, that, you know, speaking of responsibility, it's just you really want to make sure that everything's running. (laughs) But then also, presumably, especially TV stuff and film as well, it's all, you know, you, you only have so much time for each scene. It's really hard to make sure that everything is in place, you know, because... There's all this other stuff to make sure is in place too, like for everyone else on set.
2: And that's part of my role on set as well, because I have to speak to the director and be like, you're going to need this, or I think you're going to want this in your edit. So if we could, you know, potentially a lot of the time you're filming now two cameras because it's quicker to get those scenes done. But you're then shooting your wide shot at the same time you're shooting your tight shot. So you can't get the booming because it will be in the wide shot. So occasionally I have to ask the director and be like, can we shoot the tight shot, just do one go on the tight shot on its own without the wide so I can get the pole in and you can get that nice sound because you're going to want that for for that shot and you're you're missing that audio basically. So there's a lot of that kind of how to approach the director and and swing it because he is going to want that sound and try and convince him that if you've got two minutes to do that again, that would be great for us. You know. You'll
1: thank me later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You will thank me in the edit. Yeah. Do you find that you've worked with directors that have been really easy to approach? Has, it, has that been like a challenging part of the job sometimes?
2: Yeah, always. It's a massive challenging part. And you get some directors that don't want to listen, some directors that are anti-sound, that they're <laughs> just... You know the pictures, and I don't care about sound. We can replace that in post. I'm not really interested. And then you get some directors who are really on the ball, and they'll even turn around to you and say, "Are you happy with that? Are you, you know, anything else you need? You know, that kind of thing." So it's it's always a way up, and, and we get a lot of job offers now. So a lot of it is tends to be, "Well, we like working with this guy. He's a. We've done I think three or four jobs with a director called Paul Whittington, who did Little Boy Blue, side Project. I think he's on the Crown at the moment." um he's great to work with because we can approach him and just be like do you want this do you want that but he knows the edit as well he's kind of while he's filming he's kind of planning like how he's going to shoot uh, how he's going to cut it and what shots he's going to use so he'll even approach us sometimes he'll be like we'll just grab this as a little wild track on the end or you know bits and pieces like that so a
0: great example that the more knowledgeable you are about everything that's going on on set, the better it's going to be for 100%. everyone. If everyone gets everybody else's job, yeah. you're going to be a better team.
2: Yeah, even to the point of where to put cables so they're not going to trip up the cameraman when he's walking through a doorway and things yeah. like It's all things that you have to learn. You know, you just don't think of that thing until someone points it out like, mm, that's bad.
1: Do you remember when we, we shot um, Hard Shoulder, this film? Ten years ago, and we it was all night shoots at this test track in Millbrook. Is it called Millbrook? Millbrook
2: proving ground. Yeah, yeah.
1: and um, there was a big car crash scene, and there was, it kind of flew down a road and spun around. And there was a stunt team, and then the the coolest thing, which I remember thinking I could get into art department because the thing that was next was to replace the stunt car with a car that the actors could get into. And we had to smash it up and make all the same dents. I and, remember and s- smashing yeah, the car because s- there was loads
2: of people jumping on it with yeah, the hammers. Yeah, it was and- great fun,
1: yeah. yeah. Like freezing cold at night, everyone's just with a hammer smashing the car down. <laughs> and we had to sprinkle, is it sugar glass, I think, on the sugar floor glass, yeah, to yeah. Replic- replicate replicate um, the all the window had been smashed. And as soon as we they started filming, all you could hear was like everybody yeah. walking over. And I remember that being a sound issue, I think. Yeah. That was my yeah. first no- knowledge of, oh, there's so many things at play on, on camera.
2: You, could, you want to separate that out so you've got the dialogue clean but then also you then want the sound of that glass kind of snatching so sometimes you do try and avoid it like put rugs down or whatever and then get the dialogue clean but then do a little wild track of someone standing on the glass and then you can marry the two up but you've got so much more control in the edit then of... Where you're cutting and then where you're putting that sound in,
1: you know. Mm. So that, I mean, that was ten years ago. So you spent the next ten years. Have you predominantly been working in TV and films? Like that been the main thing for you?
2: That's that's been my main uh, income, definitely.
1: Because yeah. it sounds glamorous, but actually it's long days. Yeah, cold. All you were just all nights, as we. <laughs> yeah, I think we were standing on a on a sat, like a lighting. Cloth in the middle of a wood once at about three o'clock in the morning in that film, and my job was Sounds to literally right. stand on it so it didn't blow away yeah. for hours. Yeah, um. <laughs> um, the glamour of film. Yeah, lives um, so yeah, do you enjoy? Is it something that you love doing? Do you like the travel? Because it it must be hard to work in personal life around things like that as well, because it's such a hectic schedule.
2: Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of the jobs now tend to be cause i'm Manchester based. So there's a lot of filming going on in Manchester. So if I'm lucky, I can get a Manchester job and I can be in my bed every night, which is, you know, for six hours or whatever that you can get in in between days. But a a lot of the shoots at the moment for me, just just how it's worked out and and what jobs we've been on have been London based. So then you've got to find digs. And obviously that comes out because they don't put you up. So you've got to make yourself local. So then that comes out your rate and all that kind of bits and pieces. But yeah, I mean, it's it is enjoyable. I do enjoy doing it. There's other aspects of my life now that I'm kind of delving into that I enjoy more um but it's it's i've gotten to that point where i know that role inside out and i'm really comfortable that i can just walk onto a set and do whatever's required you know so having that confidence now is is you're so nervous when you start and you don't really know what's going on and you're not very confident at all but having that confidence it, it makes the job more enjoyable because there's. There's not many things that you can get thrown at you where you're out of your depth anymore. So.
1: so when you said you're talking a lot about we, is that have you got a kind of team that you work with all the time and how did that kind of come about?
2: Yeah, so I um, it was random actually. I'd, I'd had a break in between a couple of, not a purposeful break, but you know, I'd finished a job and I didn't have anything for like a couple of months. And uh, another boom-op friend of mine who was on a job uh, with Grant Bridgman, who's the production mixer, um, he said, look, I need someone to come in. It's not a boom job i need someone to come in as an assistant here's the rate i guarantee you won't hold a boom you can just sit around drink tea lug a few boxes around but if i know you're after some work and you haven't worked for a few months so if you want to come in and do that that'd be great i was like yeah definitely sounds like an easy day pop along met grant on set uh we got on like a house on fire just you know when you meet someone you just click and we we're geeking out over cables and all sorts of bits and microphones and bits and pieces and then when that job finished he offered me a role as like second boom on his next job and did that job and again went really well got on really well his first uh, assistant sarah stopped for a little while she's uh she's had a baby recently so she kind of jumped out of the industry for a little while and then i took over as as main boom for that and we've been doing a few jobs now and it's it works really well and he's he's fairly um steady with his work so whenever he has a break then i tend to have a little break and we just jump on the next job together and yeah, works really well like that. So.
0: I'm curious to hear about your other projects, though, that you're saying that you're, you're interested in spending more time on now.
2: There's kind of two other main areas. So uh, firstly, um, I'm a musician and a music producer for my own project called Retract, which is kind of I write down tempo electronic music and uh, just self-release and bits and pieces like that and then the other aspect is um which i've only been doing about a year and a half i production manage for a pop band in america called Boyce avenue so i look after all their live shows doing wherever they need me to go to do to do a show basically yeah
0: and that's this is quite interesting to me when i was learning about you was that you do you know you do the sound for tv and film you also do sound live for Boyce avenue and i don't think i mean i know a lot of people in sound but i don't really know anyone who does a lot of both so that's quite or is it unique or is it or it's, is it common it's weird that
2: there's, <laughs> there's a lot of production mixers i know that used to do live sound for bands and then kind of came out and started working in film and tv and they found that more of it or a a bigger in- industry and kind of a more stable industry than the music industry hmm. uh, so they've just kind of stayed with that but there's so many people I I speak to that oh yeah I've still got a studio in my shed it never gets used or I used to go on the road with um there's a guy that I worked with for a little while that uh, used to be front of house for Chumba Wamba back in the day <laughs> and it's just you know all these kind of little folks that used to be in the industry and then kind of progressed on to doing film and tv and then yeah I've kind of gone the other way a little
0: bit because you're interested in music so it's yeah. going to be you know kind of ticking that box for you as well yeah. so that I mean Boys Avenue are doing great so they must be fairly big shows
2: huge
1: yeah so so what is that like
2: scary <laughs> Really i'm scary. assuming
1: live must be the biggest pressure yeah. of all
2: yeah which is weird coming from the film and tv side because if you get it wrong you dip a mic in shot or there's a shadow you just say like, Oh, one more can we go again you know if we've got time because it was wrong this is this is live. there's no go again this is you know if it doesn't work if something goes down then you just kind of have to deal with it on the fly so that's that's quite scary from that point of view
1: so when you say huge I guess we're talking big arenas Are you doing so my arenas? my
2: first ever show with Boyce Avenue bearing in mind it was my first ever show doing front of house I'd never done it before and uh, I'd only ever kind of popped along to, to do like an acoustic um, support which is like two channels or whatever but this is a full you know production show that was 12,000 in Manila
1: Oh, my God. Easy. I don't know what you're on about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I could do that in my sleep. I'm uh, my closest yeah. friend.
2: <laughs> I threw up in my hotel room at oh Lobby Pool God. before. Really? Because yeah, yeah. I was that
1: nervous. Oh, God. So, okay, I, I actually don't know anything about live sound. So, front of house, is that, that's mixing right there.
2: So, that's mixing the all the audio for the show, yeah. And
1: that the audience
0: will hear. Yeah. yeah. But
2: also, I look after their monitor mix monitor. as well. So, that's so four... Four mixes for them and then one mix for the front of house simultaneously.
0: So just to kind of jump in there, being being a musician, often for bigger shows you will have one person doing the monitor mixes, meaning mm-hmm. the sound that the people on stage will hear because we will all be like, can I have a bit more of my vocal? Yeah, can I exactly, have a bit more yeah. of this? <laughs> and we're all very difficult people, whereas front of house is the sound that's coming out when you go to a show. That's yeah, what you hear. The big
2: PA speakers. But yeah. you're
0: doing, for Boys Avenue, you do both. Yeah,
2: because they, they don't trust in-house engineers basically and a lot of the times if I'm working on the same kit and the same I can keep a show file which kind of you keep the settings and the levels and how they want the compression on the vocals and bits and pieces the same so I can kind of load that in and then just tweak as I go along but I mean we fly all over the world with that and you know you're in the Philippines you're in Brazil you're in the Middle East and the level of competency with the in-house engineers that usually do the monitors it's they. They prefer that I do it basically. Yeah.
1: And what's how many are on stage then? We're talking so in three, Avenue. There's three, there's three brothers. And yeah. they, have they got a band set up? Uh,
2: yeah. So you have um, Alejandro, who's the lead singer. Um, he's acoustic guitar lead singer but i mean he plays piano he's just one of those really gifted musicians it's just great everything uh fabian who's kind of electric guitar based um and then danielle who looks after all the percussion but they also do backing vocals as well so
1: so that's a lot of stuff to be keeping an eye on yeah uh, from a sound point of view
2: usually the show's at least 25 tracks of audio coming in
1: has it ever gone wrong yeah <laughs> do you know what it's one of those you know like you actors and musicians and people that are in the limelight they they you know you, as an audience <coughs> member you see them but you don't you only notice what everyone else does normally if it's gone wrong is from from my point of view it's only now that i'm a bit more in tune with things i'm like oh that's really good sound that sounds great but before you just you expect that you're Turn going to hear something, show, you're, you're,
2: yeah. Hear yeah, I mean, I had one show where uh, <laughs> we've done the line check and uh, sound check, everything had gone fine. Um, the support bands have gone on, they're using the same desk, and I just you know jump back to my channel strips when I come back on after the support had done their thing. Uh, we do go for show, lights come down, house music comes down, boys come out on stage, start playing, nothing came out of the PA. <gasps> And I've literally had nightmares, <laughs> yeah. that exact same nightmare. And it became a realization. They came out, nothing came out. And you've got 4,000 people turn around and look at you because you're at the sound desk. And I'm like, I've got nothing coming in to the desk. The desk has crashed. I've got three techies running over to me and they're pressing buttons and I'm like, nothing's coming in, nothing's. So I literally flick the desk off, turn it off, turn it back on again, reload the patch. They're getting an in-ear mix uh, from a different sort. This is before I was doing their monitors. So they think everything's fine because they're still getting audio into their ears. So, so they're, they're just still, having a great
0: they're time. They're just
2: playing, no sound coming <laughs> out. The manager has to come out on stage and tap the lead singer on the shoulder and be like, there's no sound, we've got to get off stage. <gasps> They go off stage, I reload the desk and then backstage, uh, once the desk pops up, you hear Alejandro's guitar strum and it pops up in on the desk and like, okay, it's working again. Bring them back out, boys. Come back out. <laughs> the funny thing is, the first uh, the first song on the set list at that time was a track called "Can You Hear Me Now,"
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> which
2: he made a joke of as he came back out uh, and put some pieces. How about
1: now? How about now? <laughs> <laughs> so that that I mean that that was maybe when you were more accomplished in what you were doing. So was that like a terrifying moment, or were you kind of <laughs> like? It was still terrifying. Horrific,
2: yeah. And I, I still get nervous before every single show because you run those things through your head and you don't know it's so unpredictable. A lot of the times our cables can go and you just kind of have to deal with it. But it's just that's that moment of why? Why is this not working? And you don't know. Yeah, fortunately, the reset kind of worked. And from what we can gather, the desk just crashed. It's just one of those things that happens, you know.
1: That's crazy. I mean, you think of people getting nervous on stage, but actually, from my experience of being off stage... Every so many, everyone's getting nervous because it, it's live, live shows. Yeah. That that first performance, then that the one that where you were sick and when was it in the hotel.
2: In the hotel at lobby call, yeah, been like down so how- to the lobby. We're going to the venue. And... <laughs> oh my! So
1: how did you, how did you get the gig? Where did that come from?
2: <clears throat> so it's a bit of a long story. So, but I was I was doing uh, or I was looking after um, a support act when I say looking after I was roading so I wasn't really doing a sound but I was on hand if there was like sound problems for like little venues she ended up managing to get a support slot with Boyce Avenue and it was a UK run Uh, so I went out as just a roadie and me being interested in sound and music I'd obviously go to the front house and chat to their front house guy at the time a guy called John Rupp and yeah so we did this run and I was just kind of over his shoulder the whole time kind of just watching what he's doing and he's teaching me a few little bits and pieces. We ended up doing another run in Europe and the in-house texts were awful. And it's usually the in-house texts that mix the support. So John would only do Boyce Avenue. That's all his responsibility. So he was like, I don't trust these guys to to mix this girl probably tonight. So I'm going to set you up on the desk and you're going to mix her tonight. And I'm like, okay. But he you know, he programmed all the desks for me and so I was just fader pushing basically. It was kind of but it was my first time doing a show and I think it was about two, three thousand cap. And then after that it was like, Yeah, great show. Uh we've got another seven shows, you're gonna do it for every single show now. So we'll sack the in-house engineers off. Uh, they'll just be on standby for teching and then you can mix the show. So every show on that we did that and it was a good run. And then we did another couple of runs um with the same with voice avenue again and we were supporting so every time i turned up it's like, hey it's you okay you're mixing the show tonight and he just pushed me on the desk every single time and then uh randomly oh, i say it's about a year and a half ago now maybe two years i get a phone call from their manager one o'clock in the morning uh being like so uh, john's uh left he's gone on to greater bigger things or whatever but uh the boys want to know if you want to take over as their front of house engineer Speechless. <laughs> he's like, you don't have to answer right away. You can take a week, think about it, uh, and then give me a call back. Um, and me not having—I mean, John was kind of holding my hand through the whole thing, and I didn't really know the kit that well. And it's such a big opportunity, but then such a big responsibility at the same time. So I was then ringing Grant, the production mixer that worked with in film and TV, being like, "Do you think I'm capable? Like, technically capable of doing this? Like, I know the theory, but..." I don't know where the buttons are, I don't know. And when things go wrong, I've not got that experience to be like, oh, it's this or we need to replace that or whatever. So it was a big step up. But in the end, I rang, I rang the manager back and I was like, look, if, if the band are happy for, as long as they're not expecting me to be John Rupp on day one and they're happy for me to learn on the job and we can kind of grow together, then yes, I will do it. But this is where I'm at and I want everything kind of upfront. So they're not expecting me to be superstar you know what I mean? I mean, John Rupp was trained by Marilyn Manson's engineer. So he's, you know, top end and all his shows sound amazing and whatever you say. So, yeah, we went into that. Yeah, yeah. Well, hold your hand. That's great. They they paid for a day's training for me at AdLib in Liverpool on a desk. And then they were like, right, we've got a run coming up in uh, the Philippines. It's like a three, four show run. Um, and the first show is the Araneta Coliseum, 12,000 capacity.
1: So you're, like, so you're still holding my hand, right? Yeah, <laughs> 12,000. Yes. It makes me nervous. The, the thing just is, you come in, that...
2: you come into those venues and the in-house, because I mean, they're huge in the Philippines, absolutely massive. Uh, so when you turn up and you're like, oh, you're a Avenue sound engineer, the, all the in-house engineers that are having photos with you is that kind of <laughs> level and I'm like, uh, okay. Uh, and then they expect you to just be gifted sound engineer because you must be if you're doing voice Avenue sound. And that first show, I was kind of like, well, you know, I, I kind of know what I'm doing, but so, you put ideas for like, uh, okay, well, let's mic up this this way. And you get a look from an engineer if you're doing it wrong or they would do it differently. But, like, okay, but I trust you because you must know what you're doing. <laughs> uh, with. But then you're like, yeah. should I do it this way? <laughs> do, Don't
0: trust me too much.
1: <laughs> do, do you have moments where you think, am I all right doing this? Do you have those moments of doubting your capabilities? Or you kind of.
2: Yeah, every day. Really? Yeah. Still? yeah 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 even even that yeah you you turn up to a show and it's kind of you learn so much on the job but there's still moments like well there's no one telling me the right or wrong way here to me it sounds good everything's working properly it's going okay good show at the end high fives on to the next one but you know there might be a little few processes that i could probably change and be better but for me there's no one above me at the moment i've been thrown into the top end and i've missed out on that kind of five, ten years of doing small clubs and bars and little bands and little van tours and that kind of thing. And I've just been thrown into arenas very quickly. And yeah, you just kind of have to a little bit of make it up as you go along. Do you
0: know what I mean?
1: So do you find that you're enjoying the live stuff more or are you loving that there's a balance in your life of of the filmed and live?
2: For me, it's more challenging. And because I'm still learning, that I find really interesting. Whereas the film and TV stuff, I kind of know the insides and outs. To so say I can rock up on set and know how to do that, and the recording and bits and pieces, that's fine. But yeah, there's there's still kit that I'm learning, and there's still processes I'm learning. And Saturday, for example, so uh, Boyce now at the moment over the past two years they've been touring an acoustic show. So there's no full drum kit. It's kind of hand percussion, Kahan and crash cymbals bits and pieces like that so the first ever show i'd done with a full drum kit and you know doing all the processing on a full drum kit was saturday not done one before so that is a learning curve you know and you kick drums snare drums and and it was a tiny venue as well Uh, it was only sort of 250 cap venue which is the smallest venue i've done (laughs) uh, which is more of a challenge because then you're acoustically fighting the sound of the drum kit on stage compared to the PA so that's got its own problems and challenges and I found that quite a lot more difficult show than doing an arena to be honest with you Mm. just because of those kind of bits and pieces
0: yeah because when I go to see an arena show I kind of think oh god poor sound engineer who has to do sound for this place but it's not necessarily harder just because it's bigger place it's just different challenges and yeah. if that's what you're used to then you're like well this is easy
2: <laughs> yeah it's just I found it a lot a lot harder the small venue just um what I say I'd never done that sort of size venue before and I know that sounds weird because it's so much smaller but from uh an acoustics point of view and from um rigging the sound point of view it's harder because you are fighting the in-room sound whereas you know if the drum kit's so far away on the stage you're not acoustically hearing that everything's just coming out the pa so you've got full control
0: what i think was really wonderful is that you um you took the job you said yes i want to do this but you were very honest as well you weren't kind of pretending like you had more experience than you did you were just very upfront you're like if if the guys are happy with who i am me being who i am and me learning a bit on the job then then hell yes, you know, I'll do it. I I think with
2: that level of responsibility, you've
0: got got to to be be honest. Yeah,
2: because so much is riding on it. Their whole live show is riding on it, you know. Um, You can't, as I say, like I knew the theory behind it and I knew the routing and kind of how it all works. It's just more of a case of uh, learning the actual kit and where the buttons are. Like, oh, how do I get a delay on the vote? Oh, it's there. Okay, great. Um, But yeah, I don't think, there's any way of not being honest in that situation. There's no. There's a certain degree of um not fake it till you make it, but kind of being like, yes, I think I can do that. Let's let's push and you know. And I do so much research online about the desks and the routing, and before I go to a show, knowing that that's the desk I'm going to be on, so I can kind of catch up a little bit on that. I don't. I don't think there's any engineer that knows every single desk inside out. You you do learn a bit on the job, but so
1: with the creative side. I mean, we we spoke a bit about the fact that you're a little bit creative on a on a set for example how creative can you be in a show like that is that is it just very technical
2: it is very technical i'd say 80 80 to 90 percent of that is technical but um I think I chatted to a friend of mine and she said the reason why you're a good live sound is because you're a musician so you can understand. So, I mean, I have control over vocal delays. So, you know, if a song stops on a sudden vocal note, I can add a delay and bring that fader up that creates that kind of... Which is, that's creative control that I've got that's not been asked for, but I think that suits that sound and it fits and it works and, yeah.
0: As an actor, being directed by... A director who's acted is always easier because they understand how to talk to actors. Being produced as a musician by someone who's actually a musician and not just technical is always easier because they understand how to talk to musicians and also sound engineers have find this live, that when you talk about the, the reverb or delay and stuff like that, you'll have the sound engineers who your second or third song in is like a slower ballad and they're like, oh, I'm going to put some delay on that and then just keep it going for the rest of the show. And you're yeah. like, this doesn't work for my next one. You have yeah. to keep listening, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they think they've kind of figured your sound out, but they just kind of do one size fits all for the rest of the show. Yeah. And I think so that's that's great. That's probably why why they want you because you get, music, you know.
2: I think for me as well because I'm touring with that band and with that show I'm doing the same show every night so I can kind of I know all the songs inside out now so I can hit those delays really quickly cuz I know where they come in whereas i say if you've got an in-house guy that you've just got a band coming in and they don't know the songs necessarily and they don't know the show or how that's going to but you can give them notes and what have you but in terms of actually kind of hitting that it's
1: they're kind of That's constantly like, catching up
2: yeah, of with, course, with the show. Yeah, yeah.
1: So with Retract, is is that now your creative outlet? Yeah. So how did that come about? Where did that start?
2: So years ago, I used to write house music uh, and I was signed to a label out in Miami called Groove on Records, which was George Morell's uh, record label. Um And we did a few releases with him. And that kind of I was getting a little bit stifled by that in terms of it was the same thing over and over again. And creativity kind of wise. For me, writing, that's my creative kind of release I like to write you know what I want and then having to re- repeat the same track over and over again that was a bit difficult so I started to write this kind of down tempo electronic sort of stuff it was never supposed to see the light of day it was always just like write some stuff stick it on the desktop never listen to it again but a friend of mine Natasha she kind of got hold of it and she's like this is really good stuff you should do something with this and maybe package it so we kind of spoke about it Um and she's a music manager as well so that kind of helped with that kind of thing so I was like yeah okay let's do it so we released an EP and got a little bit of play on that and uh, I did another couple of tracks and then BBC Introducing picked that up and they started to play it in Manchester and kind of spiralled a little bit from there really and turned into this whole kind of thing.
1: And you've played, is it Blue Dot Festival? Blue is Dot that, Festival yeah, in yeah, Manchester that. yeah
2: that was on the BBC Introducing stage um, and again that was through uh, the girls in Manchester they put me forward for for that, that was um, this year yeah.
1: What kind of challenges does that bring up putting out your own stuff on a live stage like that?
2: It's quite nice because it ties in with the front of house stuff because you know how the stage works, you know how the front of house works. So I can go and chat to the front of house engineer and be like, this is what I need in the monitors and this much compression all that kind of. So immediately like, oh yeah, great, I know how to speak to this guy. So that kind of really helps. But when I'm writing it, because it's electronic stuff, it's not really written like, oh, you can have a guitarist, here's a vocal section and that kind of thing. So it's trying to transfer the electronicness onto the stage while still doing it live is quite a creative challenge.
0: So, when you do the show? Uh,
2: So, I look after the electronics. Uh, I have a Moog synth on stage. Um, I have a SPDSX sample pad. So, I'm triggering kind of vocal samples and bits and pieces and drum uh, drum cues and that kind of thing. I uh, have a guitarist who does um, guitar and bass work and then uh, a separate keys player on some other synths, uh, but he also does like saxophone um and then a guest oh. vocalist that comes on for for a few tracks as well.
0: That's amazing. It that sounds like a great show.
2: It's yeah, it's getting I've I've not done it too many times to be fair because I've more been concentrating on writing music cuz that's where my love is. I really like just locking myself in a studio for 4 days and not speaking to anyone and getting a track out and then and then kind of releasing it. But uh yeah, we've done a few shows. I say we did Blue Dot this year and I played Soundway Festival in Croatia a couple of years in a row. Mm. Played Soup Kitchen in Manchester. Actually, that was my first one this year in Manchester. So that was a nice show.
1: I mean, do you get nervous? The fact that it's your own. I get style? the same.
2: Yeah, before every show, whether I'm doing front of house or performing myself, it's yeah, I get really gippy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I just have
2: to wander around the corner like five minutes before showtime. I just need a minute. To go and the band kind of know that now, and they're kind of oh, Matt's just doing his thing. He's, he'll be all right in a minute. So.
1: But I'm always so in awe, I've said this to live before, of people that are writing their own stuff and then putting it out To the world to see or hear. Do you do you have any reservations about letting your work be heard, or are you are you enjoying the fact that people are getting to listen to it?
2: Yeah, no, I love it. When it's finally finished, it's finishing the track that is the problem, or knowing when the track is finished because it's not a traditional kind of song form. I don't pre-write it, and then this is the chord structure, this is going to be the top line because it's electronic. You're constantly adding sounds and layering things, and you build the track up that way. So it's a little bit different in terms of the writing. So at some point you have to kind of call stop and just be like that's okay that's done now
1: it's crazy i mean even we were talking about getting you in to record this your schedule sounds so hectic with everything going on how do you find that for you personally as well as creatively and earning money and all that how how does it work for you as as a lifestyle choice
2: It's well I guess financially now it's gotten to the point where I'm fairly comfortable because there's always jobs coming in so I don't have to worry too much about that side of things which is a massive relief because I mean I went through years of you know the bills coming in like I can't afford to pay the electricity bill this month and you know that kind of stuff so, so that kind of thing is fine it is stressful the amount of back and forth and in and out of different roles and, and doing bits and pieces but at the same time I find that really exciting I, I think I find the stress exciting weirdly But it used to be like that at college and uni, so you'd leave coursework till the last minute and you'd have to cram it the (laughs) night before, and that was always my best work.
1: I swear it's a creative thing. Yeah, I need the pressure of it being, I've got to get it done the night before. Growing up, had it been, did you know you were going to go into a creative career?
2: No, so, um, well, at school I kind of played the violin very badly, very badly to the point my tutor told me I should quit actually, which I oh, did. Uh, I
1: think violin is a tricky one. It's yeah. horrible, horrible solo <laughs>
2: instrument. a really horrible unless you're doing kind of an Irish jig. It shouldn't be a solo <laughs> instrument. Then. Yeah, so I did that at school, and then my life's been a bit of a kind of Forrest Gump kind of thing. So I I dropped out of school early. I didn't finish my A levels, and I did skateboarding for like a year. It got sponsored by a small shop and I was like, I don't need school anymore. I'm going to be famous skateboarder. That's fine. That oh. lasted for like a year and then, oh, there's no money in that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I didn't have any qualifications. So then I was just working kind of dead end jobs for like four years, uh, working in warehouses and stuff like that. But it got to the point of, you know, into that and you're working with people uh, that had been in these companies for like 30, 40 years, still doing the same job and i was like i'm gonna wake up tomorrow i'm gonna be 50 i'm still gonna be packing carrots into a box so yeah it was literally one day i i broke up with my girlfriend i moved back in with my parents and i enrolled at music college and that was yeah the rest is is kind of from there
1: do you ever have a day where you're like what am i doing i need to be doing some one thing that just keeps me going or you just loving the fact that variety kind of literally is the spice of life
2: <laughs> no I, I do enjoy the variety I, I think if the retract project really because i don't make any money on the retract project even though you know you get a little bit from prs from the radio plays and bits and pieces and the gigs you get like you know 50 100 quid when whenever you do them it's not it's not anywhere near enough to support any kind of lifestyle so that is a hobby but I think if that took off or when that kind of blew up then I would definitely put 100% into that because that's using everything I've learned in all the other industries to then jump into that and then that turn into a career would be great because that's also my creative outlet and that that is you know so many people's dream to be a writer producer and then Tour your own stuff, you know. But in terms of um the other stuff, it's it's really enjoyable. I'm quite happy, kind of jumping around and doing those bits and pieces. Yeah.
0: What has been your highlight so far? Was it being asked to do Boys Avenue, or do you have another moment that you just think, like, you remember thinking, "I've made it. I've you know, I'm successful."
2: Weirdly, I've never thought I've made it. I always think I'm on like rung four <laughs> of a twenty rung ladder. Sure. I guess it's a little bit like John was saying in that previous. Podcast from uh, last year that it's almost that imposter syndrome, isn't it? Where you, you you are doing big stuff. I mean, you know, front of House for Boys Avenue—that's a proper role—and you walk into rental houses where you're renting the kit from It's like Matt from Boys Avenue's here. and they'll bring out a tea tray and stuff, and it's you get treated really nicely. But for me, I'm. You know, I'm just still learning and still doing bits and pieces. So I think Boyce Avenue was a big one when I got that phone call and that opportunity. But it was such a big one that I had a week of sleepless nights before I gave the answer, you know. And there are, you know, you're filming The Kingsman and chatting to Colin Firth. And there's moments where you just have to kind of snap your fingers and be like, this is actually happening. I'm doing this. This is, this is for me. This is kind of cool. But yeah, there's no kind of I've made it moment because i think you're, you're constantly no matter what stage you're you're still constantly learning you're still constantly pushing yourself you always want to do something bigger something better
0: yeah it doesn't it never stops does it, it doesn't stop no. you are like yeah this is it
2: because you, you, you get still to hunger for it as well I yeah think. yeah
0: yeah and it's so funny how we get used to it so quickly as well when you have something great that happens that very quickly becomes your reality. And then you actually have to do the job.
2: (laughs) This is a kind of mental exercise that I actually give myself. So every now and again, if I'm feeling stressed or down, or, you know, something's gone wrong, because even with the stuff I'm doing now, you still get let down a lot. You know, you send tracks out to record labels and occasionally they'll be like, it's a great track, but yeah, you you haven't got enough followers for us to sign it. And you kind of, you have down days and what have you, but I always trying to think back, right? Okay, where was I eight years ago? What am I doing now? Would I have believed what I'm doing now if I told, you know, eight years ago myself? And it's, yeah, it's it's a good mental exercise to be like, no, you are doing cool stuff. You are pushing yourself. You are constantly developing. It's
1: Those things at Boise Avenue have come about kind of out of the blue. So it's not that you could have planned forward by this point. I'm going to be doing big arenas. No, it, it, and it that, just was, comes that was
2: all from, uh, hey, do you want to hop in a van for a few days and carry some guitar cases? It's crazy from where those opportunities stem from. Mm. and I always try and live by that you know something comes up it might not be a well paid thing it might not be the most amazing thing but you don't know who you're going to meet where it's going to lead to you know
1: I mean the fact that we still are in touch 10 years later and you were kind enough to help me out when I'd said do you know anyone that might want to run a somewhere when I kind of thought I might go back into that that's where I I remember after Hodgechild having made a few connections and people said well I'm going on to another film they might want someone there so being good at what you do and also so actually getting on with people and making those connections is so important.
2: Massively, yeah. And I think a nail on the head there is getting on with people. So when I look for an assistant on TV, a good 60% of that is not technical capability. It's how do they work in the team? How are they talking to other people? How are they, you know, their personality has got to gel. You could be the most technical person. You can know more than I do as, as my assistant. But if you don't fit in the team, then... And people won't employ you because they want people around who are nice, who are friendly, who can have a joke with, and because it's all stressful jobs, it's all stressful days, and and if you're not working with nice people, kind of what's the point?
1: Days I'm get very long. I am sure that all the people that said Do you want to come back on Monday from humans, it's just because I made them a good cup of tea. Yeah, I think that's all it was. <laughs> if someone kind of approached you now and said, "Matt, I'm uh, thinking of getting into." being a creative sound engineer or a boom operator, what what would your advice be to someone starting out?
2: In kind of TV world or?
1: Yeah, I guess so. Anything. Just I'm interested in sound. I want to get into it. Do you have different advice depending yeah, on what, what part of it they want to
0: get into?
2: Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's because it's such a fickle industry because like I said before, there's no... There is an industry, but there isn't. It's not like you fill out a job application for like, oh, go speak to Lisa because she'll get you a job. It doesn't kind of work like that. So it's, I don't know, with the film and TV stuff, I always say, because I've had a few people come up to me, I always say, well, get on as work experience, because you meet the people, you're on set. And as soon as you're on set, you're learning stuff straight away from the get go. Um, and if you're good work experience they'll bring you back as a paid trainee and if they bring you back as a paid trainee then they'll bring you back as a, an assistant and then you know all of a sudden you're in the industry and that's you've just got to get out and meet the people and get on and do it and eventually they'll start paying you for it that's how I found it if you do it long enough people will pay you for it
1: and carry the guitar cases because look what I mean where exactly. you get to yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't get,
2: I didn't get paid for that No, and then that ended up with me doing
1: yeah sometimes you just uh,
0: don't obviously you have to to pay the bills and stuff but sometimes just kind of if you feel like there might be something in it Mm. or you might enjoy it at least (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. then say yes to it
2: you've got to enjoy it because it's so stressful i think that if if you weren't enjoying it there would be no way of being able to sustain that lifestyle
1: yeah that's maybe the best advice of all yeah i think <laughs> so, so definitely make sure and that you hey if someone it. says you want to come do a podcast travel down from manchester because you can <laughs> 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 come, come and, see and sit for here for an hour well. yeah absolutely yeah. it's been so nice catching up. I, I, I love this because i find out so much more obviously i'd kind of kept an eye on what you're up to on on social media stuff didn't know it was on that massive scale actually yeah. i don't think she's incredible and the retract stuff so what's the next step have you got stuff happening next new what single comes- out on friday uh uh-huh. Where can people find yeah. that?
2: Uh, that'll be out Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, the works. So. We- did a shot of music video as well. Uh, well, for the past three singles, I've been doing music videos for them because it's again, it's another step of the creative thing. So I'm directing music videos for my own stuff now, and that's a whole new learning curve because I'm learning about cameras and I'm editing the videos myself. So I'm learning about editing software and all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, we shot this on a, an FF7 with some nice lenses. Uh, a very lovely chap called Alex shot it. Did the grade a few weeks ago, and yeah, that's all out on on Friday. Video and the track all out the same day.
1: So
0: amazing so it will be out when when this episode is out we'll tag you on social media and everything and in the episode notes so people can find you
1: it's been so so great having you thank Thank you so so much much. for coming down if you want to listen to Matt's stuff go on to so Spotify Apple Apple, yeah all
2: the major kind of digital stores and bits of music retract
1: music cool thank you so much
0: thanks thank you guys so much for joining us for series two of my amazing mess we are thrilled to be back we loved talking to matt and next week we're going to be talking to jess ruston who is a writer in every sense of the word she has published several novels she's written for different publications and she is currently a very successful screenwriter we talk about all these different things with her we had a great chat so check back in for that next week
2: The sound of a bouncing
0: ball. It's a perfect sound as well. Not <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
1: Hi everyone, it's Laura here. If you are waiting for the next episode of My Amazing Mess to come out, we love to point you in the direction of podcasts that we love listening to. A great one that we would love to introduce you to is Lewis Howes' School of Greatness. You can listen, stream, download on all podcast streaming sites. He is a New York Times best selling author, lifestyle entrepreneur, former pro athlete, and a world record holder in football. He sits down to interview so many brilliant business minds of the world really interesting and well-known celebrities athletes and he's always talking to them about how they have achieved their greatness and they are definitely people that you would have heard of so head on over there check it out and let him know that we sent you